before we get started, I just want to, um, Zeke, I appreciated your message. Wasn't that a good message Sunday? Yes. And very timely. Anytime in the scriptures the Lord really wanted to get a point across, He would say it twice. He would either say, verily, verily. Or He would um, give two parables that were very similar. He was trying to drive home a specific uh, point. Um, this is part two of Zeke's message. Now, even though Zeke's message inspired me, I got this message weeks ago. But when he was preaching, I was thinking, man, the, the two messages together is a verily, verily. The first message was follow through. Because it's it's not just important to start or how to have a good start, but it's to have a good finish. And so you can go ahead and put up the first slide. I'm going to speak on passion tonight. Because if we're going to finish strong, we're going to have to finish with passion. But before I get started, I'm going to ask for five minutes to do a little introductory because I'm going to show you some scriptures tonight that are pretty strong. They're, they're challenging to our faith. And I want to look at something because in our age, this was never a, um, a major thing in the early church, but today there is a confusion between being saved by faith and saved by works. That if you have any works and you, you can just sit back and relax and enjoy the ride and then you're, you're safe at home. And so there's a challenge today to understand the conflict are we saved by faith? Are we saved by works? We even find in the scriptures what we would believe that could be possibly contradictory. So we're going to look at those real quick as a five minute, give me five minutes, we're going to get that introduction, and then we're going to go right back into the message. Go ahead and give me the second slide. Tonight we're going to talk about two different things. One of them is an intellectual faith. An intellectual faith is our comprehension of God intellectually, where we agree with absolute truth based on God's Word, even to the acceptance that Jesus is the Son of God. That's an intellectual faith. Some people don't even have intellectual faith. They refuse to believe God's Word, and they refuse to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. That is an intellectual faith. But there is a saving faith. And the saving faith is a relationship with Jesus whereby He, Jesus, makes known to us the will of the Father and equips us with the power of the Holy Spirit to carry it out. Go ahead and give me the next slide. This is James 2. James 2 is this, these controversial verses. It says in verse 14, now look, I chopped them up. I'm going to be honest, I chopped them up for the sake that I'm going to try to do this in five minutes and then we'll move on into the message. But I promise you, I did not um, degrade or break the integrity of the scriptures. I put the verses up there. You can read the whole thing if you want. But 14 says, What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Notice the question mark. Can such faith save him? Question in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. You believe that there is one God, intellectually, 
good. Even the demons believe and shudder. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Tonight, do we want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Go to the next slide for me. James asked a man if he has faith, if he has an intellectual understanding that God is and Jesus is the Son of God. If he intellectually agrees with that, can that faith save him? I know there's a scripture that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. You aren't saved just because of that one act. You will be saved. There's a process that's involved. You have to let scripture be interpreted by all the scriptures. So they should come together and produce a, a wonderful song. And no scripture can uh, contradict or of itself tell a different story. And so, we're going to look at these quick, quick controversials because we're going to talk about passion tonight. And we, we asked just a minute ago, I didn't ask, I mean James asked. James asked, asked, do we want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? He asked another question. What good is it, my brother, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Go to the next slide. Because we're going to look. Everybody says, but what about Romans? What about what Paul said? Paul said, because the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. Notice the words in red. No works of the law will man be justified. James goes as far as to say, man is justified by works. But here we have Paul saying that because that no man will be justified in his sight by the works of the law. These are totally two different things that the men are talking about. One of them is talking about circumcision almost specifically, and the other one is talking about having a life that reflects faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Notice that we're saved by faith. So we're going to define faith tonight. Faith without works is what? Dead. Dead. So... For we maintain that a man is justified by dead faith apart from the law? It doesn't read that way. For what God does, uh, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, right? Was Abraham made righteous by the law? He was made righteous by his faith, right? Did he obey God? If he would not have obeyed God, would he have been counted righteousness? Uh, righteous? Let me ask you a question. Would Noah have been saved in his family if he wouldn't have obeyed God? So what saved Noah? The faith or the, the, the grace that God gave him in the, the warning? Or was it the faith in believing the warning and carrying it out? Okay, so he did, uh, Noah didn't uh, perform any works of the law. But he believed God and his life showed him. You know how it says he was a preacher of righteousness? Noah may not have ever preached. But every day he worked on the boat, he was sending a message. And he believed God. 
if he ever would have stopped, he would have said, I no longer believe God. And therefore, his faith would have been dead. And we know his faith wasn't dead, because we are all here today. Right? For grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works. We aren't saved in all of our works that God will tally it all up and then he's going to make a judgment on whether we qualified or we didn't qualify. But what he's going to do is, in fact, this is how I explain it. No man can earn salvation, but he will be judged for what he has done with it. Parable of the talents. Wasn't a man given the riches of the kingdom and he hid them in the ground? Did he earn the talent? Did he earn the, the, the wealth? No, but he was judged by what he did with it. And so I just want to lay a foundation real quick. I am not preaching that you have to do this to be saved, but I can tell you this much. You're not saved if people can't see your faith. If they can't see your faith, it doesn't profit you any, and it doesn't profit God or the kingdom any. Okay, we were... It also goes on to say that we were created in Christ Jesus for good works, that we should walk in them, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. If we don't walk in them, then we have uh, judgment to answer for it. Okay, so I'm done with that. We laid down the great. I'm not preaching that you are saved by works. I'm saying if you are saved, I will see it in your works. Because guess what? If you were saved by works, you wouldn't need faith in Jesus. That means the Hindus would be saved by their works, right? right? But you must have faith in Jesus and works to prove not only to yourself, but everyone else and God that faith is working inside of us. Amen. Okay? Amen? So we got that. That's not blasphemy? No. Okay. Let's go back. Let's go to the next slide. Let's go back to the message. We can go to the next slide, which is my title slide. And I said we were going to get back in the message. I just wanted to make sure, because when I was putting this in slides last night, the Holy Ghost said, the enemy is going to try to keep telling you, oh, he's preaching works. He's preaching works. No, I'm preaching faith tonight. I'm going to preach faith that we can see. Amen. Well, we'll move on and we'll let the slides catch up to us. Hey, David, do you think you could pull up the uh, second one that says passion? Yeah. We're sure what we hope for is certain what we don't see. All right. Even the Word tonight was telling us that God hasn't withheld anything from us. Why would we withhold from God? Why will we withhold from God? There were several times even the word passion was mentioned tonight. So we're going to talk about passion. Now, I'm not talking about the Greek word eros. It's not the passion I'm talking about. We're going to see this passion. We're going to see it in the scriptures and we're going to have an understanding of it tonight. Go to the next slide. You can keep going down to the second the one right after the second um, passion. 
I'm sorry, Brent. That's all right. I've I've had a very difficult day, but we're about to cut loose on this real quick so we can get through this. Because I'm not I'm not giving and I'm not going to have a title called passion and keep this flat tonight. It's not going to happen. So as soon as we can get into it, we're going to get into it. You might know me as someone who's a little reserved. I might be quiet. I've been told that I'm quiet. But at the end of the day, I, I hope someone can put on my tombstone that I was a man of passion. That I went out with passion. Go ahead and give me the next slide. Keep going down. One more, right there. Can faith be seen? Let's, let's have a, after I've already given the answer, let's have a show of hands. Who believes faith can be seen? And then, okay, so that's an overwhelming majority. We're going to look at it. Favorite story. Now, there's a lot of scriptures, so we're not going to go to a lot of them. I will mention them. Some of them will come up there. There's a story, one of my favorite stories in the scriptures because it stirs me. It challenges me. And it's a story where Jesus is preaching and a big crowd begin to gather. And these men, call them their brothers, they had their brother on this pallet, right? And they're carrying their brother on this pallet and they come up to this huge crowd. You ever went to an event and you're all excited and then when you see the line, you're like, oh man. You start questioning whether you really want to eat there. You're wondering how long the wait's going to be. You know, you go, oh, I can't wait till we eat that food. I can't wait. And you see the line and you start saying, well, maybe down the road. Maybe down the road. These men carrying their brother see this crowd, but they're not deterred. Amen. They are determined. Check this out. They get so desperate that they said, hey, I've got an idea. Let's get up on the roof. Let's rip the roof open, and then we can let him in. We're talking about these men were not deterred by a challenge. I always use this scripture when I teach on um, intercessory prayer. Intercessor, this is a picture of intercessory. The, the lame man couldn't get to Jesus himself. He was dependent on his brothers getting him there. And his brothers could have looked at him and said, it's just not going to happen today. I'm sorry. But there was something in those men that even though they saw the crowd, they saw the difficulty, said, this is not going to stop us. We heard what Jesus was doing, and our brother needs it so bad that we're willing to get there no matter the cost. No matter if we've got to pull the ceiling up and let him down. And so they get to this point where they, I'm, t I'm telling you, think about this. They are ripping up the ceiling on somebody's house to let their brother down. And they're lowering down, and Jesus looks up. Give me the next slide. And he said, I'm sorry, the next slide. Give me the next one. When Jesus saw their faith, whose faith did he see? The man laying on the, on the, the crippled man? His brother's faith. He saw it. And he said he would. He got up, and he said, your sins are forgiven. We know the whole story. The Pharisees moaning, groaning, says, well, which is, which is harder? But when Jesus saw their faith, he reacted. So faith can be seen. 
Actually, my uh, before we started tonight, all my papers fell down, so mine are out of order. So if you could go up two slides. James said, I will show you my faith by what I do. Can Jesus today see our faith? Can he see our faith? Or does he just hear lip service? Do you know every time we sing a song, I'm convicted? Does the song line up with my life or am I just singing? Because I'm not doing a whole lot just singing it and dancing if my life doesn't reflect what I'm saying. We sang that song, Be Lifted High. Do we just lift him high here? Am I lifting him high by holding a high standard? Am I lifting him high by mentioning to him in the line at Walmart when I know someone needs a little love and compassion? Am I lifting him high outside of praise and worship? Because I, because this is just lip service. Worship ought to be an expression of the week that we have, have had. And not just lip service. So James said, I will show you my faith by what I do. Go ahead and give me the next slide. When passion is evolved, involved, faith can be seen. So we're going to talk specifically about passion tonight. Passion. So Jesus saw their passion. And I promise I've only got one same exact scripture that Zeke had. Go ahead and um, go down for me. Jeremiah. Because I can't find a Hebrew word. I can't find a Greek word. I can't find an Aramaic word for passion. I can't define it with a word study. I can only show you where it shows up in the scriptures by men's actions. I wish we had a word study tonight where I could just show you one word and we could go into the definition and show where else it was being used. But Zeke said we have to finish strong. And we got to know what it is that we need to finish strong. There's got to be some substance there. Jeremiah said, now look, Jeremiah, the first time I attempted to read Jeremiah, I got so depressed I had to stop. I don't know if you've ever read Jeremiah, but I told Trace, I said, the Lord has put on my heart to read Jeremiah, and I'm depressed. Could it have been a worse calling to be young, contrary to the whole thing? I mean, he's prophesying one time, and another prophet gets up in, in front of everybody, rebukes him. He had nobody on his side, but he had passion. He had passion, and as Zeke, as Zeke said, he wanted to quit. But there, he said, but if I say I will not remember him or speak any more of his name, look, it was hard for Jeremiah to speak about him. It was hard for Jeremiah to say the things the Lord said, say to them. He said, don't even look at their faces when you're saying them. That's hard. And you're going to say such a message that you can't even look at their face when you're saying those things. It says, if I say that, then in my heart it becomes like a burning fire shut up in my bones. And I am weary of holding it in and I cannot endure it. It's called passion. There was such a passion in Jeremiah, no matter how hard the call was, there was something burning in him every time he wanted to quit. 
Every time he said, that's enough. I don't know if y'all have ever said that, but I've said it. That's enough. I quit. And then a fire began to burn. And I just can't hold it in no more. Amen. Amen. Because Jesus said, my burden is easy. My yoke is light. I got him mixed up there. But there is a burden. And there is a yoke to take on. But there's a fire that causes us to carry it. That's the light part. It causes it to be light because we just can't stop when he puts it in there. Go to the next slide for me. Let's talk about Paul. Let's see if Paul was a man of passion. Paul would go into a city that he's never been into before and he would find the busiest part. He would go down to what do, you, what do we call it here in Sugarland Town Hall? Town Center? Paul would begin to preach Jesus Christ until one of two things would happen. Even the, the people would begin to believe and convert, or they would stone him. That was his passion. He would go into towns that no one had ever spearheaded before. There was no, you know, that... That's hard when you're the spearhead of the gospel and you're taking the gospel where it's never gone before. But he had such a passion in him. He said, I'm going to preach. So you convert or you're going to stone me. You're going to throw me out of town. And we are so passive that the Lord put something on our heart and we said, it's probably not a good time right now. It's probably not a good time. They, they probably don't even want to hear this. I look to Paul as a man of tremendous passion. He spread the gospel to the unknown world. He spread the gospel to the place where it had never gone before. Amen. We go as a church all around the world, but guess what? The world is right here. If we're developing a passion for the nations, the nations is down at Town Square. The nation is at HGB. Trust me, I've been there. <laughs> the only thing we're lacking is the passion. The passion, like Paul. Would I do the same thing? Would I, I mean, I could go into HGB, get what I need, and be out. I don't think Paul could do that. I don't think Paul could have gone into HGB and gotten what he needed and gone out without preaching Jesus Christ. Amen. He had passion. He had a fire shut up in his bones. And he just, I mean, he was determined. He was going to preach. I don't know how many times Paul was left for dead, but it was several times. They told him to be quiet, but he couldn't. He couldn't be quiet. Guess what? Every time the enemy tells us to be quiet, why do we listen? Why do we so easily listen when the enemy says, just be quiet? Give me the next slide. Because if we're going to talk about passion tonight, I know it's theatrical and it's Hollywood, but have we become numb to this image? We look at Jesus and how he's come and he did good, but we can look at the scriptures and see the passion that he had. The entire scripture is written about the passion of the Son and his only desire was to fulfill the will of the Father. 
We don't know what hobbies he would have liked. We don't know what TV shows he would have watched. We don't know any of those things because he was so busy with passion, fulfilling what God had for him in his life. And we really don't know much about Jesus and what he would have wanted to do other than his own passion. I mean, you look at my life and you can see what I like, what my other passions are. Start talking about computers. Start talking about different things. You'll see some of the other passions I have in my life. I wonder how many passions Jesus had. I wonder how many conversations you could have carried on with Jesus. I don't know if he was an LSU fan or not. But it doesn't take much when we have passion to begin to talk about something and to get excited about something. That's true. Yeah. Jesus was the greatest display of passion. His entire life was dedicated to fulfilling God's will. Now, isn't he the pattern of the sun for us? Isn't he our example? Yes. To have that kind of passion? How many of you think that Jesus came up short? Started strong, finished strong, right? It was passion. It was passion. In fact, the scriptures even call it that in Acts chapter 2. I think it might be verse 10. It said, and after his passion, passion will get you through that. Passion will make you run and embrace it. Because it's passion. It's supernatural. Go ahead and give me the next slide. Because this is where it gets difficult. Because there's hot, there's lukewarm, and there's cold. And revelations, now look, we're going to remember this is Jesus. This is the same Jesus that the world tells us is not judgmental. He, he's real passive. And he, he loves the sinner, but hates the sin. And he, he never, you know, he's just real. He's just Santa Claus. He's Santa Claus. Doesn't stand really for anything because he's so loving. Now this is not my Jesus. This is his saying. I didn't say this. This is not something that I'm imagining. This We have to let Jesus be who he is. We have to let the scriptures tell us who he is. Jesus said in Revelations 3.16, I always compliment this with John 16. So you got John 16 and 3.16. I think it was Zeke that said if you look at all the 3.16s and the, all those, you find some great scriptures. But he's telling this to the Laodicean church. Now, come on, this is a church that needs some encouragement. Aren't they the American church? I mean, they are filled to the gill. They are got this program going on. They got the youth program going on. They got youth pastors. They got this pastor and that pastor. It's just, it's just all going together. They are not in need of anything. And Jesus says, but since you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. That's because, you saw that picture of passion? He still has that passion to this day. And we're to have that passion. And he's saying, look, I want you hot. Wow. Lukewarm's not good enough. And for some reason, we think lukewarm's safe. Do you know, I learned this in my uh, senior year in chemistry. There is no such thing as cold. There's only heat and lack of heat okay so let's look at it you got hot we're talking about hot 
He didn't say warm or extremely warm. He's talking hot. He wants us to be hot. Amen. You take the fire off a little bit off a of hot. It doesn't take long. What happens? It becomes lukewarm. Thank God it's not cold. Right? That's what's our mentality. But I'm not cold. I'm not as hot as I used to be. But I'm still in church, right? I, I'm still reading my Bible, but I'm not as hot as I used to be. Because you see, what lukewarm is, is just turning the fire on just every now and then. You don't keep it on full bore. When it gets a little hot, hot enough, we turn it off and we just coast a little while. Zeke said his, uh, Zeke said his spiritual diet. My goodness, when he said that has tore me up all week. Because I was on a spiritual diet this week, preparing for this message. And the Lord said, what you going to do? Thursday. You're going to keep the same passion or you're going to go back to lukewarm? Because to get to a certain level to preach a message, you have to pray. You have to, you got to separate yourself. You got to do all those things to be ready. There's heat, heat, heat. Now I'm done. What I'm going to do? Turn the burner down? Coast at lukewarm? But at least I'm not cold, right? Jesus said, I'll spit you out. If you look one, I want you all in or all out. I want you full blown or not at all. Because the reason why we're lukewarm is for our sake. We would never leave church, right? I mean, we would never do that. Most of us are really absent. Not most of us. Some of us sometimes are absent. I know sometimes I'm absent, but I'm still present. Because I'm singing the words and I'm wondering, did it, can I really say this? Can my life be lifted high? There was one of the songs that we sang tonight, something about all I am, I give to you, I, I, just everything, I lay it down. I mean, can, that's easy to say. That's another thing to experience it and to, and to believe it and to be experiencing it. But since you are lukewarm, Neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. See, the world tells us we don't have to be radical. You don't have to be crazy. Don't you understand? Once you were saved, you're always saved, even if you're lukewarm. You don't have to go full-blown with God. You, get, you know what? My family's already told me. You don't have to be that extreme. You know? You don't have to be. Because then they start saying, well, you know, we're not saved by works. You just need to have faith that God, you, you can be lukewarm, right? We can be lukewarm and be safe. Give me the next slide. See, Jesus said this. I didn't say it. But I confuse passion a lot of times with good intentions. Gone to the prisons before and, and, and met some little guys that are in church and they're all excited. And the first thing they tell me is, Brother, when I get out, I ain't coming back. So I always ask them the same question every time. How many, how many, what's, how many times you been down? That you gotta learn their language a little bit. You ask them, how many times you been down? Oh, this is my third time. I said, Well, let me ask you, after your first time, were you determined that you wasn't coming back? Oh, yeah, I, went, I, I was determined I wasn't coming back. I said, Well, what about the second time? Weren't you even more determined you wasn't coming back? Oh, yeah, I was real determined. I said, what about the third time? I said, what do you think is going to be different that this time 
That's the, you're not coming back because your good intentions haven't, haven't stopped you from coming back. Every service I walk out with good intentions that I'm going to apply the message. Every service. I have good intentions. I'm going to apply it and I can just have this great testimony next service, but the, the words sometimes convict me when we're singing because I got a little busy. I got, you know, I lost track a little bit. Because you see, good intentions is different from the passion, which is the fire of the Holy Spirit. We're going to look at passion tonight, and we're going to define passion because nobody should go out here with good intentions. We're going to go out with the fire and the power of the Holy Spirit. Because if it's good intentions, I mean, man, we are lukewarm, because when we leave, we're hot. But then the heat gets turned off. And then two days later, we're not as hot as we were when we left service. Good intentions is like New Year's resolutions. How many, I don't want you to show me hands, but how many started the uh, Bible plan for the year? How many of us, good intentions, right? Well, what if there was a passion in your bones to read it in one year that even when you said, no, I won't. Speak of his name. No, I won't. No, I won't read. There's a fire in your bones that you got to go and read it. Good intentions is really lip service to God. In fact, after the service, that's going to write you a million dollar check. See, he's not all that excited. It sounds great. But he's going to be very disappointed if he goes and cashes it. Very. But we write God million dollar checks every service. Oh. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And let something happen on our life and it's two million. Oh God, I mean, we just write the car and everything is going. God, I promise you, two million this time. Two million. And we live, we live by promise to promise to promise. But we lack one thing. It's called passion because I'm going to show you why. There's a difference between good intentions and passion. I, I, I pray by the Holy Spirit that when we go out tonight that we understand what this passion is. Because too many times my good intentions has caused me to come up short. Oh, every time. Every time. Give it the next. Okay, so if the passion is a fire, that's the Holy Spirit, then we have to be careful. Because you see, there is no such thing as cold. There's only a lack of heat, right? First Thessalonians 5.19. Quench not the Spirit. Because you see, if we would just not quench the Spirit, it would just make us hotter and hotter and hotter. It would become more radical and more radical and more passionate and more passionate but we turn off the gas. We quench the spirit. It says, do not, you can read 1 Thessalonians 5, 19, it goes on to say, do not put out the spirit's fire. That's the New Living Translation. Don't put out the spirit's fire. See, your good intentions don't match the spirit's fire. God could care less of our good intentions. Jesus is not impressed when we write million dollar checks with our mouth. Yeah, right. He just says, stop quenching the spirit. 
Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. And here's the key. Avoid every kind of evil. We're going to find out tonight why we're not passionate and what's keeping us from being passionate. Because look, He didn't call some of you to be on fire. He called us all to be on fire. So He didn't call me to that. He called you to be on fire. If you light a lampstand, it's on what? Fire. fire. Okay. So we all you know this. The light of mine. It wasn't an LED. It was a fire. <laughs> so let's look at what causes. So if we know that the Holy Spirit is our fire, then we need to look at what is causing it be turned off to be quenched. I mean, the scripture says you can quench the Holy Spirit. You can bless Jesus with your mouth and quench the Holy Spirit in the same day. Trust me. Let's go to the next one. If you want to turn there, let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 29 through 31. I've heard this one quoted a few times on the mission trips. So <laughs> Wouldn't you consider putting out the Spirit's fire a great offense? Yes. Seriously, if God gave us the Holy Spirit to cause us to live passionate. Wouldn't, if we quenched it or we did something to grieve it, be lukewarm? And he said, you, you grieve my spirit so much? <laughs> you ever saw something that you thought was really good and you put it in your mouth and it didn't quite live up to it? Oh, yeah. Have you ever taken a Coca-Cola Coke that somebody put something else in and you're thinking, I'm about to drink Coke here, and when you taste it, you're not quite sure what you're tasting, and you're like, you spit it out. When we grieve the Holy Spirit, and when we quench the Holy Spirit, it puts a bad taste in His mouth. Amen. Bad taste right. in His mouth. I mean, these are some serious scriptures tonight. Amen. It's real good, brother. Verse 29 says, Do not let any unwholesome talk. So, if you want to find out what grieves the Holy Spirit, I want you to circle these. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. But only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. Because you know what your unwholesome talk does? It puts your fire out and other people's fire out. To build up means speak those things which are edifying to build up. Put a little fire. That it may benefit those who hear. So when you speak, if you are speaking unwholesome, be grieving the Holy Spirit. It says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. My goodness, we do some things that God, the Spirit of God is grieved that we do them. It grieves Him. We go some places and we entertain ourselves with some things that it grieves Him. If we wouldn't take Jesus to it, then we have no business going. 
because we are taking him with us and he's grieved there. And we wonder why we struggle in worship sometimes. Because we've grieved the Holy Spirit with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. May we are grieving the Holy Spirit who is abiding with us until that day of redemption. And he's either going to be so grieved on the day of redemption or is he going to rejoice on that day of redemption? Get rid of all bitterness. So you want to know what puts out the fire, first of all? Unwholesome talk. It didn't say dirty jokes. It didn't be specific. It just says unwholesome talk. Gossiping. I mean, man, when we gossip, we grieve the Holy Spirit. When we tell maybe an off-color joke, it doesn't have to be bad. Off-color, something that's not edifying. Grieves the Holy Spirit. When we're bitter, we grieve the Holy Spirit. Rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. These things grieve the Holy Spirit. It puts out our fire. And we go in and we wonder why we struggle in lukewarm. The more lukewarm you are, the more checks you cash with your mouth. Or you promise God. I, I, I promise God. I, pro I have said that so many times. I promise God, when I get out, I ain't never coming back. That's the same thing the prisoners say. Every time they say the same thing. I am not coming back. I said, you don't understand. You're a slave to sin. You don't have the right to say you're not coming back. You're a slave. And if I continue to feed myself with the things of the world, it doesn't matter if I'm blessing with my mouth. I become a slave to sin. Do you not know whom you yield your members to? You are that one's slave. Regardless of who we call Lord, whoever we yield to, I know we shouldn't watch it, but I heard it was good. Who are you yielding to? Jesus, uh, Holy Ghost, you don't have to stay in the parking lot because uh, you might be grieved if you because it, it, it's, it's uh, not rated holy. It's, uh, these are serious. These are serious things. It's going to get a little lighter. Okay, I'm not going <laughs> to leave us down in the dumps. <laughs> But if God said, verily, verily, He wants to finish strong. Do you know what's the biggest enemy to a runner? A good start. You know why? Because He thinks I got this one. You ever seen the football players? When somebody runs up and finish strong. But we do that. We get all pumped up and we start thinking we're going to cruise into the end zone. Like crazy. That enemy is roar, like a roaring lion. He don't, he's not going to show you no mercy. Fool around. He will destroy you. Get lukewarm. You won't have to worry about the enemy. Let's go on to the next slide. I promise there's only about three of these slides and then we can go on to some better things. Matthew 24. I want to tell you what. This, this is why this is important. See, that's why it was important I gave you that little five-minute thing. Because, look, if you want to believe because you confessed Jesus at one time that you, you got you a bus ticket, then go ahead. But if you're lukewarm, and many false prophets, Matthew 24, verse 11, and many 
false prophets. Man, they're going to be in the church. Prophesying. Oh, he got the spirit of prophecy on him. Now, what's he prophesying? Many will prophesy. Many false prophets are just going to appear. I mean, man, there's there's a prophet on every station sometimes. Click, 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 click. click. Man, they are everywhere. And deceive how many people. They're not just going to get one or two. They're going to deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness. Because we want a prophet to tell us, I could be lukewarm and pleasing to Jesus. Prophesy, mother. Prophesy. Encourage me to be lukewarm. Let me put all the responsibility on Jesus Christ. And he loves us so much. I thank God I'm not cold. I'm just lukewarm. Because the prophet prophesied in my life that one day I was going to be a man of God. Well, right now I'm not. You understand what I'm saying? Make me feel good about being lukewarm. And the, because of this increase of wickedness, now if they're prophesying, who does the prophets prophesy these days to? People in the church, right? Mm -hmm. Well, where's the wickedness going to be growing? Mm -hmm. In the church. And when the wickedness grows in the church, it definitely grows in the world. Because we set the standard. The love of most. Mm, how many? Most. Because it is prophets. I mean, they preach a good message. I mean, it's easy. You don't have to study. We're just going to give everybody a seat. You pass. Is Jesus going to grade on the curve? The love of most will grow cold. That means if we are 100% statistics, I would hope that we're above grade. And most of us, our love might grow cold because of grieving the Holy Ghost. Wickedness. But yes, anyway, it's not my works. It's, it's, what Jesus, it's what Jesus did on the cross. It's signed, sealed, and delivered. I got the package at my house. And takes responsibility off of me. He can't see my faith. He can't see my faith. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. I didn't make these scriptures up. They're in the Catholic's Bible. They're in the Jehovah Witnesses Bible. They're in my Bible and they're in your Bible. This is the last last hard scripture. Give me the next one. I got this last week. We could go tonight. Last Wednesday night. It was the, uh, the great chicken day. Wouldn't it be amazing if we could show our faith by chicken sandwich and waffle fries? Yeah. What does more for the family? Buying a chicken sandwich and waffle fries, which I enjoyed it, are proving in my life and my relationship with my wife and my children be an example of what God called the family to be. Amen. You see, I can bless Jesus all day, but if my life does not line up with what my lips are saying, um, we had a friend that would come over all the time, and she, I mean, every word out of her mouth was, that's Jesus, and I used to, I, I, I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, am I not saying your name enough? She, everything she says is Jesus. 
And Allah said, well, look at her life. It was total chaos. He said, I would rather her be quiet. They keep saying my name all the time. Jesus is Jesus that. Jesus is Jesus that. She wouldn't have to say my name if she, her life was an example. Because you can't be rebellious and bless God. You can't have. It doesn't bless God anymore. It doesn't bless Jesus anymore we, what we say. It doesn't line up with our life. Hebrews 10. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy. Man, do you understand the law was without mercy? You died according to Moses' law without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. I mean, once it was done, done over here in America, it takes people die in prison of old age before they're executed. So we can't uphold this a standard anymore. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God under his foot and counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified? Now, this is a saved person. By the blood that he was blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, a common thing, and insult of the Spirit of grace. When we consider the things of God common, when we come to service, and it's just another service, and we sing the song, and it's just another song. When the Lord showed me this last Wednesday night, I started, look, I looked at every word in the song, and I started to make sure I have not a life. Because if I'm jumping and doing this, and my life doesn't line up with it, I might go away thinking I did something, but it really didn't accomplish a whole lot. If I consider what Jesus purchased by the spilling of his blood as common, how much worse of a punishment will I receive when the law didn't show no mercy? Common. Do we consider church a religious duty? So now I got to examine my heart every time. We I come to church with my attitude. Oh, I gotta get to church. You know? But none of us here would consider it common. And we don't matter if we're late, right? Don't matter if we just sneak in and sit in the back and walk my family. But it's common, it's become common. It insults the spirit of grace. I mean, that insults the spirit of grace. I thought it was by grace we had been saved. Oh, faith we have been saved. By grace we have been saved through faith. You insult the spirit of grace when you consider the things of God common. Just commonplace. This is a common worship. We had a normal worship tonight. It was average. It's not because of the worship team. We had a better worship before. That was a great worship. When I came in and I saw Dustin worshiping, the spirit in me was moved. I'm not saying that the worship wasn't up to par. You understand what I'm saying? But through our throughput, was it just average? We've had better? You know what? I hear services from 1970. I mean, I, 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 I hear the, the ecumenical renewal, the charismatic movement, whatever happened in the 70s. And I compare it to today and I think, man, we're still not there. We might be, this might be better than where I came from, but I still hear 
of a testimony of when you walked in, people fell on their face. It's not quite there yet, right? It's because that fought we not quite as, as hot as we could be. Because it takes passion. Okay, we're done with that slide. Let's go on. Now for the good news. Well, maybe not. Not yet. <laughs> I'm sorry, I, did, I forgot about this slide. James 1.22. But you must, we must consider what we're doing. And every time I've done it, I've done it in ignorance. I mean, I wasn't deliberately doing it. But it didn't mean that I wasn't doing it. Right? I hear my kids say all that all the time. I didn't mean to paint the back of the house blue. I didn't know I was doing wrong, but they did it anyway, right? That actually happened. <laughs> I don't remember which one it was painted inside the house. Blue. It was branched. <laughs> it was an ignorance, but guess what? We, we had blue all over the side of the house. Be ye doers of the word. I mean, James is preaching a hard message here. I mean, he's, he's you know what? He, he is just pulling out all the stops. He says, be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. How many times we have quoted that? Don't be doers, just hearers of the word, be doers only. But we forget this next part. Because this is the scary part. Receiving your own self. You know what that means? That means, I'm going to use myself as an example. I think I'll be safe if I use myself as an example. I hear the message so much and I see everybody doing their calling and showing passion that I agree with it and I think I'm doing it. I've heard the word so much I can recite it, but I ain't doing it. I have deceived myself in thinking because I know it, I'm doing it. Every Saturday morning the scripture comes up. It's hard to get up and go to the abortion clinic. But am I going to be a doer of the word or a hearer only? And this, all this message has come from what I've seen. Because I've seen great passion at that abortion clinic from some, some members of this church. We deceive ourselves when we're around people who are on fire and think that we, because we come to LCMF, we're okay. There's some deception in hearing can you imagine there's some deception in hearing the word God over and over and over? There's some deception to hear such a great minister as Eric every Sunday. When I hear Eric preach, man, I am amazed. He can ask my wife. I'm like, man, every Sunday, how does he do it? And I can get deceived by thinking because I hear really good messages that are that's being reflected in my life somehow without doing anything. Oh, deceiving. I can deceive my own self. Be deceived. All right, let's move on. See, there was ten virgins. We have to let Jesus be Jesus. And there was ten virgins. There was five wise and there was five foolish. And there was this substance that some of them didn't have enough of. It didn't say that they didn't have any. They didn't have enough. And... The, the hardest part of the story is when did the bridegroom come? At midnight, right? Why didn't he come in the day? He'd have had all ten, right? 
Why did he come at midnight? That's right, because he's going to part. He's going to part the foolish who think, I got enough because Jesus is coming in the day. That's what all the prophets have told me, that he's coming in the day. He's going to be so glad to see me. Because I've stayed true. I've stayed in church. And he comes at a time. I mean, this is our Jesus. This is our Lord. He chose when the call comes and the Father says, go, it's at midnight. That ought to tell us something a little bit about the character of God. A little bit. He could have come during the day and saved all ten, but he came at night to separate the foolish. There's going to be a separating in our walk where no matter how bad we want to get to Jesus, we were foolish. We were just foolish. And then our fire go out. Do you understand it's the Holy Spirit? And without the Holy Spirit, we can't make it. Amen. We cannot make it because good intentions is all we have. That's all we have and that's all we can offer God. And without the Holy and how can we even fathom that we would grieve it and think it's okay? You understand? We're talking about salvation here. We're talking about the Holy Ghost, and we're talking about grieving Him and thinking it's okay. Four soil types and the cares of this world. So this is what robs you of your passion. This is what's robbing you of the fruit in your life. Just the cares of this world. I'm talking day-to-day -day stuff. Went to Mexico, get all fired up, man. You just, you come back, and what brings you down? Day-to-day mm. stuff. Day-to-day stuff. I said, well, you know, I'll just turn the fire back up when I go back to Mexico next time, right? And I'll be lukewarm all in between. You understand what I'm saying? Whatever it was I was doing in Mexico, because it's not in Mexico, okay? You don't have to go somewhere to get it. It's what you're doing while you're there that makes you so hot. You're dependent on the Holy Spirit, right? And we come back to America. So many cares. The deceitfulness of riches. My goodness. If we just have more money, we could do more for God, right? And the lust of other things entering in. Choke the word and become unfruitful. That you see, it's not what we have to do, it's what we should not be doing. Because the fire of the Holy Spirit is there. I mean, if we have the Holy Spirit and we are obedient and we pray and build ourselves up in our most holy faith, praying in the Spirit, it's the Spirit that causes that fire. It's just we do so much that grieves Him. We don't want to give it up. We justify it, right? We justify everything we do. Everything I've ever done, that I thought was a gray area, I justified. Because God knows my heart. He knows my heart in this. At least I'm not cold, right? <laughs> All right, Philippians 2.13, that's the end of it. Philippians 2.13, For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his great pleasure. This is, this is one of my favorite scriptures. Because not only did he give me the will to carry out his will, he's given me the ability to do. 
He just doesn't set you out there and say, just, just give me your best shot. It's not like he sends us out to accomplish a specific task. It is God who worketh in me. It's God that worketh in Charlie to will and to do. Wouldn't it be a shame if he just put the will in us and not give us the ability to carry it out? be a heavy burden. You're exactly right. It would be a, we, would, we would constantly come up with excuses of why we've fallen short. We would quote that scripture over and over and over until we were comforted. We all have fallen short of the glory of God. I call that one of my comfort scriptures. You know how people have comfort food? but I have comfort scriptures when I fail. We have to be ready to go full bore with God. We're either going to be hot or lukewarm. Because I don't think any of us are going to settle for cold, right? No. I don't think any of us are crazy enough to settle for cold. For cold. But he would rather us be cold. He would be, he'd rather us be cold than to be lukewarm. I got to say, and let's put the, not me, but everyone, it's put the pedal to the metal. Put the gas to it and don't look back. Finish strong. Now, why would God tell us to finish strong? Uh, you know, that's right. There's a possibility of not finishing strong, of having such a good start and, and, and thinking you can coast off of your start. But this is two messages, verily, verily, two messages, verily, verily. Finish strong. It takes passion because good intentions is just going to leave you with an excuse. Finish strong. We sing that song. Let us be the generation. Every time I hear that, I wonder, are we going to be the generation? Hmm? Fran, are we going to be the generation? I, I hope so. I like. I read. I read his answer than my answer. He said, "Yeah." Hmm. What about you, Mario? It's going to be our generation. We just have to stop breathing the Holy Spirit, right? That means we might have to give up some stuff we enjoy. I think it was, um, I don't remember, but it started off with Matt saying about the kingdom. How is the kingdom obtained? By how, what kind of men? Horses. Men with passion. If you're going to gain any kingdom, it's going to take force. You know what force is? You know, sweat, push. If we're going to gain the kingdom and advance the kingdom, how many of you here are here for the sole purpose to gain uh, to gain ground for the kingdom? Right? It's going to take some forceful men, that includes women, forceful that don't get distracted with things that grieve the Holy Spirit. To take, I want to be that generation. Okay, this is what inspired this message. Because i got to be honest. Me and my wife came to this church because we saw passion. I hadn't seen passion like it in a long time. And so when we saw it, we got to go there. Because passion draws people who want to live passionate. And when they see passion, and they're there. Give me that next slide. You want to see passion? That's passion. 
Sometimes I wonder what I'm doing at the abortion clinic. I'm there because there's so much passion from Joel and doing what he's doing. Sometimes I feel I might just be there to support him in his passion. Because passion. He said, well, you know, what about your own passion? Well, give me the next slide. How many of you got passion because of this man? Hmm? How many of you had passions before the nations until you saw it in him? Because you see, passion is a fire. And what does fire do? It spreads. It spreads. And God is saying, look, I know you started good, but I want you to finish good. I want you to have passion, not just in Mexico, not in India. I want you to have passion. The same passion that your pastor has. The same passion that Joel has, that he dances with a sign in the street. You've got passion. It's a passion. And I, 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 I'm sorry, but I, I love to be around wherever it's passion. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm just waiting for the Lord to show me and I just want to have enough passion to go do what he's asked me to do. Well, even in his testimony when he went to Mexico, he said, you know what? The Lord called me to this place. This is a testimony that Joe gave us. He said, the Lord had called me to this place. There's nothing. But it's like I don't want to go. But I have to go. I don't want to ask passion. Because the flesh is never going to want to do the will of God. Oh, God, I want to do your will. Yeah, right. He's going to tell you what to do. You're like, not that. Not that. Yeah, that. I don't want good intentions to accomplish it. I want my holy fire to accomplish it. And all you're doing is carrying the flame of the Holy Spirit. We got the Olympics and they run around with this flame, this flame, this flame, this flame, this flame. This flame is supposed to represent that passion in these people who are all having these events. Well, we need to get us a torch, run around, but that's the Holy Ghost. We are a torch. We are supposed to be the torch, right? Amen. Amen. I am blessed to be at a church that has passion. But we got to finish strong. The worst thing that we could do tonight is to write a check with our mouth to God. If you lack passion, say, Lord, where am I grieving the Holy Spirit? What do I need to cut out that I'm just quenching the fire? Because it's not something that you have to do. I mean, kneeling on your knees on some rice for 12 hours is probably going to get you a whole lot more passion. Being obedient to the Holy Ghost. I, I heard some, I've had someone tell me, you know, the Lord... Uh, doesn't deal with them in that way. Uh, you know, but the Lord really don't convict me that way. And then you get to talking to him, but a long time ago the Lord did. But he no longer convicts. What's the use of the Spirit to continually convict? If you've set your heart that you're going to do this, you turn the fire off. And he says, go ahead and do it. Go ahead and do it. So what do we need to put out of our life that's grieving the Holy Spirit because we got to have passion if we're going to make it to the end. Those scriptures said many their love is going to wax cold. Many. Most. Most. Most love is going to wax cold. So I really don't know how to end the message other than I'm, I'm in no different shape than anybody else here. Because I, I was on a diet all week. 
spiritual diet to try to prepare for this message. I want it to become a lifestyle. I want it to become a lifestyle because I want to live passionate. I want them to say, you know, Brent was passionate for the things of God. For the things of God, he was passionate. Passionate. Amen? Amen. So, brother, I'm going to hand it over to you. Stay right there. Stay your feet. Hey, what a timely word. But it seems like the Lord is continuing to say, there's more. There's more of Him out there. Hey, you know how you become passionate about Jesus? Well, first you start hanging around those who are. You want to set something on fire? Well, you put another fire right next to it. And it sets a blaze. What God birthed in the living room, in a small home in Sugar Land, Texas, it's not the size of this building or the size of our congregation. But what was started there was a single flame that consisted of a family, named Stephen's family. And that passion rose because there was a clear call and understanding of what he was supposed to do. And what he was supposed to do was go change one life at a time. That's the biggest bite he could take. And as he did, God brought each and every one of you in front of him and also in front of each other. One of the reasons that we gather on Wednesday nights is because, you know what? I need to be around people who are on fire Amen. for Jesus. I need to be spurred on towards love and good deeds by a word that tells me something. And by the time we're halfway through the first song in worship, I need that kick in the rear end that says, you're better than this. You, there's more of God to be had. Quit being so downcast and beat up by the week. It's really not that bad. Look how good God really is. Look at the things that He is moving for your benefit and your behalf. And lastly, the reason we get together as often as we can is so that you don't feel alone. There's a time when each and every one of you will have a flame burning inside of you that you cannot quench. Nothing can quench it except the feeling that you're all alone in it. So the passions that we have within this body, join. Join your brothers, join your sisters in those passions. If you don't have one yet, join one, someone who does. Let it inspire you. Let it feed what is inside of you. You know, there's probably something within Joel that began to be fanned into flame on that ride down to Mexico. That that step of faith, because he rode the back truck with me in breath. Uh, in my back of my truck. And we would talk about Jesus and certain things that God was doing and how God made a supernatural way for him to go to Mexico. And we were there and had guns drawn on us, but even better, saw orphans and families that were in love with Jesus and be able to love on the unlovable. That's when something began to grow inside of Joel. And he said, oh man, this is, this is a, a high I cannot get enough of. Where can I find this back home? That's what Brent is drawing on. Where can we take what we experience out there in missions or the, the moments in your life where God has set up something ablaze and you hunt it down on a daily basis? That's the HMD. So what we want to do right now, we want to join hands as one big body. And like you would stack barbecue or coals inside of a barbecue pit, that's exactly what we're doing. Brit's going to turn around and he's going to pray for us and wrap us up.